Hey everyone, welcome back to the W2 Prison Break Show, the podcast to help you fire your boss and become the CEO of your own business in under 12 months. I'm your host, Brian O'Neill. Today's episode is with Robert White. It's actually an interview I did with him about a year ago, and he's such a great storyteller and has this uncanny ability to tie his life lessons into these stories that he tells. I remember when I recorded this interview, I was just so sucked into what he was talking about. But again, taking down tons of notes with all of the valuable life lessons. He's got a lot of experience. He's worked with a lot of cool, amazing people like Tony Robbins. He was a personal friend of uh, John Denver for a long time. And I had the pleasure of uh, getting to know him for a little bit on this episode and, and being introduced to him. All the stuff that he's talking about on, during this episode is all relevant. And I hope you enjoy it and get a lot, as much out of it as I did. Robert, we were talking a little bit offline about how most of us are, or at least I was stuck for so long because top reasons. I refused to ask for help. I had a big ego. I stuffed a lot of stuff down. I know you have a lot of experience with this. And, you know, we just really want to get to the root of why people are stuck in some of the, with the thousands of people that you've worked with over the years. What are some of the commonalities of why people are stuck or feel stuck and feel like they have to stay there? If you could shed some light on that, I'd be grateful. Well, anything I can share, I would do so willingly. I do not have exactly the same experience as you and perhaps many of your listeners in terms of working for the big corporation. I did in my early 20s work for a big financial services company, and I got promoted pretty quickly. And so I was a branch manager. And I had the best numbers out of 32 branch offices. And I was only 24 years old. And I went to my boss, who was a group supervisor, and said, well, you know, what's my path to get basically getting your job and to shorten all of this? He basically said, you're too young. It will never happen. Now, I think versions of that happened for many people over the years and talking with people. And perhaps a good way to start this for me would be to share a story, a real story. I think most people are familiar with Tony Robbins, incredibly successful motivational speaker, trainer, a friend of mine, happy to say. But years ago, Tony was not in good shape. So now I'm going to detour a little bit. He had sold franchises for his work. He hadn't done his homework and all seven franchises were suing him. So that's a little background piece. Even though he's, you know, this incredible stage presence, incredible content, incredible personality, I'm just a good guy and a very talented one. But he had made that business mistake. And a lot of people have made mistakes around franchising. So at the same time, I was on the board of directors of an organization called Winstar, a nonprofit founded by the late John Denver and committed to creating a sustainable future. And part of my role on that was creating and then leading what was called the Winstar Connection. There was one in Chicago. There were over 40 of them around the world, local groups committed to a sustainable future. And they each had different projects. They were each independent 501c3s. The big deal in Winstar was our yearly meeting in Aspen in the music tent with 1,800 people, some great speakers and sold out every year and just a meeting of the tribe. So one year I decided that, hey, all these people that are running the Windstar Connection Groups are going to be coming for that event. 
I wonder how many of them would show up a few days early and I'll do a pro bono leadership training for them. And so I did that. <laughs> my staff, by the way, was my then 12-year-old son. It was an interesting adventure. And one of the things you're leading a high-impact seminar is the importance of a break. You're confronting people about who they are and what they want to create in their lives. And it's an energy drain. So your breaks are important. And in this particular hotel, which was up against Aspen Mountain, they had a deck overlooking the ski runs. And that was my escape place. We didn't have a green room. It wasn't very fancy. So I'm on day two of this three-day program. I'm really hot and heavy into it. And I really need a break. And I'm headed for that exit onto that deck, my hidden place where I can drink a cup of tea and breathe. And this guy gets in my face and stops me. And he says, my name is Sam. I said, great, welcome. He said, I'm running the connection group in Cleveland. I said, that's great. And I'm trying to get past him. You know, I'm just trying to escape. And he said, he said, it's so satisfying. It's so wonderful. I just love doing it. I said, Sam, thank you for being here. Thank you for your contribution. And I'm still trying to push past him. And he says, I'm also a lawyer. That's my full-time gig. I said, great. He said, no, it's not great. It's terrible. And I want to get out of it. And I said something kind of rude at the time. It was really a valuable learning for me about a piece of knowledge that I have and that I can share and that has value to people. Because what I said to Sam kind of rudely was just quit. Now, at that time, I'm living in a 14,500 square foot home. I've got my own jet. I'm mostly retired at 46 years old. I'm raising some great kids and skiing 80 days a year and traveling the world and stuff like that. And yet I'm saying to this guy, just quit. And he responded with his script. And by that, I mean, I could tell when he said it, that he had said it to many different people, but beginning with himself. And he starts telling me about, well, I'm a partner in the firm and I can't, it's hard to unwind and my wife isn't supportive of this and blah, 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 blah. And I said, again, remember my goal is to get outside and take a break. I said, Sam, I don't have much time right now. What I want to share with you is that I've heard that story from thousands of people and it never worked. You're not going to start something new until you quit. But I didn't think of it as some profound moment. I just was trying to deal with the guy and get past him. Two years later, my wife and I were actually living in, not in our home. We were remodeling our home so extensively that we couldn't live in. And so we had bought this other little house to live in temporarily. And this is back in the landline days. And somehow my phone rings. You know, my assistant and a couple of other people knew that phone number, but no one else. The phone rang and... I answer and I said, who's this? And he says, this is Sam. <laughs> it was that guy. And he goes on to tell me that after that seminar that I conducted, it kind of opened him up to those kinds of ideas, growth ideas, personal development ideas. And he went off and did the Tony Robbins three-day program, personal yeah. power or something. I think it's called that personal yeah. power at that time. And, but he bought the expensive ticket, you know, where you get to meet Tony and have a picture taken with him and so on. And when he did that, he told Tony that he was the lawyer and that he wanted to quit and found out about the seven lawsuits from the franchisee. And Tony was really struggling. He was pouring his personal income back into the company, stuff like that. And so somehow they made a deal where he became the kind of a part-time internal corporate counsel and managed the seven lawsuits and got them all settled. Got it all behind them, you know, successfully. 
I mean, Tony's a good guy. He just made a bad deal with seven people and they all loved him that they sued him because it was not what they signed up for. So that got made. And then Sam Georges became Tony Robbins CEO for 22 years. I mean, he's working for the company, but Tony was generous in terms of ownership. He was like an entrepreneur. He was on his own. He was doing what he loved in an area he loved. So I share that story because I think the biggest thing that I've learned, I mean, I know a lot about what's under it, but ultimately the action is just quit. Whatever you are headed for, whatever you're yearning, you know, there's an organization there in Chicago, by the way, called the Wright Education University or something like that. Bob Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. He's my coach, full self-disclosure here. But he and his wife have this incredible series that they do on your yearning. What is it that speaks to you in that quiet moments? You know, that kind of doesn't go away until you, know, you try to avoid it, but it's what you really want to do with your life. So does any of that make sense, bro? Oh my goodness, so much of it. Number one, the fact that you still have a coach to this day is super awesome. I'll ask you to expand on that here in a bit, because I think it's very important and something that I avoided for decades, and that's why I stayed where I was for so long, was because I refused to invest in myself. As a result of that, I stayed in the same spot, stuck, and just, you know, like the anger and, there was, and everything just built up and up, but I didn't realize it was happening because I stuffed it down. I listened to a recent interview that you gave where you talked about that. You talked about blame, shame, you know, fear of success and stuffing it down, like not dealing with, you know, maybe our past or the real issues that we're having so that we can, as you say, just quit. So maybe if you could expand on that a little bit, Robert, this is great stuff so far. Well, the bottom line on all of this is our belief systems. And the research says that we're normally unaware of somewhere around 90% of our beliefs, but we operate from them. And I generally don't like mechanical metaphors, but the one that kind of works is the computer metaphor, which is we have an operating system. I mean, we have programs. We're pretty aware of those and how to use them. Our personality, our ability to communicate, our thinking, conscious thinking, our feelings. Those are the programs that we operate from. But under that is an operating system, and that's our belief system. Most of it, according to the research, is pretty much in place by the time we're eight years old. And then what happens with any belief is that we go looking for evidence that we're right about. Now, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here intellectually, but I'll give you an example of something that happened for me recently is I was in a supermarket and I'm a terrible shopper. <laughs> you know, you got to eat and I'm there. And I turned around at one of those end caps and the scene is a woman with three children, I would guess all under the age of six. And, you know, most women, most moms, they don't get a babysitter to go to the supermarket and the kids hate the supermarket. I think a few supermarkets are doing a better job of putting a healthy snack at the entrance for the kid or a little toy for them to play with. But most of them, it's just miserable for mom. And this was a scene of miserable for mom. And the middle child, who I'm going to guess was about two and a half years old, was just throwing a fit. And he's angry and he's shouting and he's crying. 
and he's tearing stuff off the shelves in frustration. You know, kids don't want to be trapped in a supermarket, right? And without mom's attention, you know, mom is paying attention to getting the shopping done. And I'm making all this up, but I think it's mostly true. I mean, I'm making up what I saw. And this little boy threw himself on the floor of the supermarket doing his little rage attack and screaming. And she reached out, grabbed him by the arm, picked him up by the arm. You know, you do that with a small child, maybe not very safe, but I may have done that in my past. <laughs> That's possible. And she smacked him on the butt and he quieted down after that. One little tap did it, you know, he's not being abused. He's not being hurt. The point of sharing the story is this, and for your listeners, for you, for me, how do we react when we see something like that? Because that reaction takes place in no time. The reaction is so instant and it's 100% belief based. And we've gone looking for evidence that we're right about that belief. So I've shared this with the larger groups or similar stories with larger groups. And you hear people say, well, a child should never be hit. I'm going to confront mom. That's one of the responses. One response, by the way, the most popular response, you say nothing and do nothing, you disappear. You don't put down that aisle. You completely avoid dealing with it because it's so uncomfortable for you. You know, that you can kind of guess what the underlying belief is that caused that instant reaction. Or you have the reaction that she should hit him two or three more times because kids need that kind of discipline, you know. So there's all these different reactions, a relatively simple picture, an event, and they're all belief-based. You react instantly based upon your belief about child raising, about what happens in public, all of those things. And by the way, a popular response when you do this with groups is, well, I would go counsel with the mother about the way she's handling it. You know, I have two adopted special needs kids, so I've had a lot of, I guess, special training in that field. And I promise you, that's the worst thing you can do. Now, you can go over and help pick up the stuff off the floor, and you can say comforting things to mom. You don't confront her about her parenting. That will not turn out well. But the point is that we have all these events in our lives that we react to, including thinking about leaving a job like Sam George's, most of us create a story about we can or cannot do something. And we tell that story convincingly and we believe it. Quite often, it has little connection to reality because so much more is possible. Brian, you're an example of it. There are many examples of it. And the big thing I believe is to really put yourself in a personal growth space where you can start examining your beliefs and your barriers, those things that you have put into your story about why you're not acting. You know, the thing we know, I mean, I don't want to sound like some kind of uh, guru that wears a tie occasionally, but it's all about choice and we are not going to live forever. Those are just words. That's a really easy thing to fall off my lips here, but it's all a choice, a series of choices. That's what life is. And we are not going to live forever. We're not going to get back even one day. And if you've got that yearning, if you've got that suspicion that you're not in the right place, that thing that kind of nags at you and you're noticing that maybe your alcohol consumption is going up a little bit or maybe even legal or illegal opiates, or you're not sleeping well, you're frustrated all the time, you're feeling like a victim. There are signals where you go, 
hey, I need to do some work here on me. And that's where like going to the right institute for their training programs or getting a coach, reading in a different area around the development of the self and the psychology of the self. There's a lot of good stuff on YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of junk on YouTube, but there's a lot of good stuff. So, you know, there, Renee Brown's little 18 minutes on vulnerability is something I recommend to executives because that's an important part of leadership development. By the way, that video has over 55 million views. You know, this academic, Brené Brown, a short talk, 18 minutes, 55 million views. It's just her talk. No laser show, no music, no graphics, just her. It's so powerful. Also, I don't think 55 million people watched it. I think they're like me. I've watched it like five times. Five times, you know, you know because you're just so no, much fun. First of all, she's so entertaining, but secondly, that's a message I needed to hear, to be more vulnerable, to be more open. But there are a lot of things that we can do, you know, because what stops us is us. And so we got to work on us if we want to make a shift or if we want to look at it, or at least give it a fair hearing. Telling your story on why you can't leave that job, it's like unfair to you and everybody around you because you're making them miserable too, usually. And you know, you got to dig in and do a little examination of you and how you think and the stories you tell yourself and your doubts, your fears, those things from the past that you mentioned, blame, shame, or guilt, and even past success can stop you from what's next for you. But the number of stories of people that have made mid-career changes in their life are legion. Go find them. That's useful to counteract any negativity that you're carrying within you. Amazing. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but you just said something that really resonates with me. And I would like for you, if you have an example, I'm sure you do, past success can stop you. What do you mean by that? You know, I work as a mentor to, to executives, kind of like a little bit different. And my hero in that field is Marshall Goldsmith. I believe he is preeminent thinker in the field of coaching. By the way, you can get a lot of his material free online. Go to his website and there's all kinds of free stuff there that's really valuable. So Marshall wrote my favorite book in the coaching field, which is what got you here will not get you there. What got you here will not get you there because everything is changing so fast that whatever skill set, attitude, habit, and behavior that had brought you some kind of success, it's not valid anymore. Not going to be valid in five years. And an example of that would be working with young people. It is so radically different today to hire a 22, 25 year old bright young man or woman and hope to be a good leader, a good manager and a good leader of them because it's so different as to be, you know, this is bar talk, everybody complaining about millennials and all of that kind of stuff. What a waste of time and energy to complain about it. You got to deal with it and to deal with it, you have to be different. So what got you here won't get you there. If you're hanging out, if your story is about your past success, you know, the classic is the high school quarterback. You know, that is reliving his days of glory 10 and 20 years later. Yeah. And I do have stories about that. <laughs> but whatever has happened in your past can often be like a dead weight, both in terms of disappointments, failures, again, that blame, shame, regret, guilt stuff, but also past success. You cannot change it. It's the past. It's time to make new choices. 
And to the degree that those choices are influenced by your past, they will probably not be the best choices. I was afraid of actually succeeding. That was what I uncovered when I went to, I've shared this many times on the show, I've been seeing a counselor. I have coaches. I also see a counselor for the last five years. And one of the first things we did was talk about my childhood, like go as far back as you can and, and the downloads and how do you feel about this? And not that I had a bad childhood, but a lot of my operating system, as you so eloquently put, that's when you, you said by eight years old, he literally said the same exact thing. Our beliefs are embedded when, by the time we're eight, year old, eight years old. So I'm glad you shared that. I'm curious, Robert, and I think that maybe several of the listeners might be, why does a guy who has his own jet and retired at 46 still have mentors and coaches? Look, <laughs> you know, one way to talk about this is the true confessions part to tell you all the mistakes I've made and oh. the barriers I've put up to success. I will share that during that period of time, I lived in Aspen for 12 years and I don't regret one moment of it. I mean, raised some great kids, had a lot of fun, you know, the skiing, the hiking, the relationship with John Denver, you know, just so much of it was wonderful. But I started waking up most mornings thinking that God wasn't finished with me. There was something that I was supposed to do that I hadn't done. There was some kind of a breakthrough that was out there for me. Now that was there. Then the love of my life, my wife left me for a lawyer. And I spent three years in what one of my friends described as the divorce from hell. Even that horrible experience with the price that I paid and most of all, the price that my children paid, I learned so much about me. And I refocused my life. I went back to work, you know, the amount of money that all of that cost me was motivation to go back to work, quite frankly, that day. So that was a painful day. Anybody that tells you like these executives that leave their company and lose the use of the corporate jet, anybody tells you they don't miss it, they're lying. (laughs) Write that down. I have gotten so spoiled. I think anything that wakes us up is useful. You know, you mentioned your son confronted you about your travel time Mm -hmm. being away from lunch. For me, it was that divorce. I learned so much about me. I mean, I was a victim for about three months. Then I got confronted by one of my own trainers that I wasn't living what I teach. You know, I was being the victim of all this horrible stuff that was happening. But I made a promise then, and actually John Denver and I went through our divorces at the same time. Our wives were and continue to be best friends. And they coordinated this, you know, they left us in the same week. So we went through a lot of this stuff together. And one of the things that we did was when John would get off the road, he usually was just exhausted. I mean, he loved Sam, loved being in front of people, but I found out I traveled with him for six months. That's an exhausting deal. City after city after. We would often go down Valley from Aspen, this little town called Glenwood Springs, and it has hot springs. And there is something called the vapor caves. So you can go down and sit in this natural cave. They've carved out some benches inside. And you basically cook, you know, and sweat and talk. And then uh, you go out and have a shower and maybe a massage and then you come back and cook some more. And then you have your macrobiotic lunch, you know, very healthy kind of day. And we talked a lot. We made some promises to each other. And one of them was that we would, to the best of our ability, live a life of no regrets from that moment on, and that we would make choices more consciously in service to the vision that we had for our lives, our families' lives, and for the world. 
And I have mostly kept that promise as and John, until he died, kept that promise. We made better choices, but it came out of a disaster. It came out of a shock. And I've seen so many people's lives change because of the birth of a child, you know, a positive shock or a divorce, a negative shock. And even those words, positive and negative, are they're loaded, they're belief-oriented. You know, a shock is a shock. It doesn't matter whether it's positive or negative. And, you know, I've seen people change their lives about getting fired or laid off, or their boss changes from somebody that was nurturing and kind and inspiring to somebody that just wasn't. You know, I think you've got to listen to that, that kind of stuff. And then... Find a coach, go do a seminar, read several books, read my book. My daughter now accuses me of just being a book salesman. <laughs> please, uh, please tell us what it is. <laughs> the name is Living an Extraordinary Life. It's now a bestseller. It's available on Amazon. If you want a signed copy, go on my website, therobertwhite.com. Buy it there and I'll sign it to you and send it to you. But, you know, I do this weekly email called An Extraordinary Minute designed to be read in one minute or less, something positive, something to make you think, because it made me think. But, you yeah. know, there's a lot of resources out there. And plug yourself into some new attitudes, some new habits, some new behaviors even, and just start noticing what's happening, what's becoming more clear to you. I love that you said, because, I don't know, you hear a lot of stories about, and you just described one, and I sort of described one, where almost like the shock needs to be negative, like, oh, well, he had, he lost everything or, you know, this really unfortunate thing happened and that's what propelled him or her to success. And I'm glad that you verified that it can absolutely be a positive shock, like getting married or the birth of a child or, you know, so many other, you have to rec you have to acknowledge and recognize those things as well. Not everybody gets beat into the ground to be successful. That's not the message we're spreading is that you have to go through trauma to make a breakthrough. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, I have clients that got promotions that they didn't expect and they get into the, you know, it's even labeled now by the psychologist, um, imposter syndrome. I hope they don't find out I'm not really qualified for this. And that's all believed on previous failures or previous self-doubt. And you bring it into this new job. They gave you the new job because they believed in you. They saw something in you that maybe you don't see in you, but that's a positive shock. And what people do then is they go to the wrong place in terms of interpreting. Instead of interpreting it as, wow, they saw the gift in me. They saw my potential. This is great. Well, you know, there's another way to do the, in the exactly the same situation is to go to the imposter. I don't deserve this. I hope they don't find out about me. So it's all about these choices we make that are, in fact, belief-based. Unless you do the work to clear the past and complete it, it's pretty hard to go into the future. I've had multiple people say, that, and I believe this because I was the same way. I truly believe I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy. I still probably to this day have to watch that, right? I have to watch that. Like, am I big enough for this, right? Why do you think that is, number one? And then number two, like, how do we break out of that program or that download Because I or that belief system? Because I really think that that's what it is. Uh, it is. And a lot of it does come from childhood. The research says that by the time we are 10 years old, we've heard the word no or some kind of a negative word 18,000 times, 18,000 times. So we are programmed from birth to the opposite of possibility, the opposite of positive. Uh, that's what I grew up in. I grew up in it with an angry, critical, 
violent mother and a silent father. I can remember the angle of the sun coming through the window at 17 years old. My father died when I was one week past my 15th birthday. And my mother and my family moved back to the South and I stayed in Green Bay with another family. But at 17 years old, I had just completed a year where I made more money than my father had ever made. I was a DJ on a local radio station. I had the highest rated show in the state of Wisconsin and I got paid a lot of money. In addition to that, I graduated sixth out of 300 graduates in high school and I was named most likely to succeed. So I telephoned my mother to brag a little. And the first words out of her mouth were, why weren't you number one? But that wasn't the first time that happened. That happened when I was four, five, six, seven, eight years old, where I was told, you're too big for your britches. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not going to amount to anything. That kind of stuff is present in all of us. We hear things as an undeveloped, I mean, there's a ton of brain research now. We hear things we don't remember, but they're in us in a subconscious way, an unconscious way. So you need to clear that stuff and take the negative energy off it. And on a practical basis, I know we're getting close to the end here, Brian, on a practical basis, quite often the complaint is, well, I've got this overhead now at this point in my life. You know, you did it through investing in real estate and then got more interested in that. But, you know, you can pick up little part-time activities that prepare you to support yourself while you're pursuing your dreams. In a practical sense, I do think that's important. And also that has that tendency of busting up any negative belief system you have about yourself. Hey, I can survive. I can do this because that's what you've got to get to, to make that kind of shift. I agree a hundred percent and the vulnerability, I appreciate it, Robert. It's important for the audience to hear. I think the lesson there is, yeah, you said something, it's present in all of us, like that type of stuff. And it's not necessarily that maybe our parents were trying to, you know, knock us down. It's just sometimes you don't even know what's realize what's coming out of your mouth. So I always watch what I say to my kid and I've said some stuff to him that I've regretted and I've had to repair and apologize for, but other people have helped me with that, right? So I think the lesson here is to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, you're going to make these mistakes, but I think the repair part is super, super important. And like you said, you got to let go of that because you're talking about it now, something that happened when you were 15 years old or younger. So we need to acknowledge and deal with it and get the support that we need so that we can have that breakthrough. Robert, this has been tremendous. Again, sharing your insight and your and experience and great story. I love a good story. You tie the lesson into the story, which is always great. So you're really good at that. Before we wrap up, anything that, that might be sitting with you that I either didn't ask you or any final thoughts that you want to share? Look, I think it's all about relationships. I'm talking about myself here. I have a new friend in Bryant O'Neill. If nothing else happens out of this, I know we're simpatico. We're aligned on a lot of things. And that's what I look for. I'm looking for deeper relationships. And if you're listening to this and you kind of have a high crank for looking at you more carefully and get out there and try some new things, read a new book, go to a seminar, get a coach. That's a big thing. Maybe the most efficient and powerful ways to find somebody that's going to confront your story. And this thing only goes around once. So choose wisely. What are we waiting for? We only got one shot. That's a great way to end it. Thanks again, Robert. Everyone make it a great day.